0: One of the most famous quotes known in Christian history comes from Augustine, and he says this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's a famous quote because it is so true. Made by God for himself, designed with a God-like shape capacity in our being that would fellowship and interact and commune with the Almighty. And without that, we are out of joint. We are out of sync. And one of the things we forfeit is rest of soul. So we will never... No rest until we know rest in Christ. True rest, full rest, complete rest. Now to go along with this famous quote, there's a very familiar portion of Scripture that gives to us uh, really the information we, we need to achieve that rest. And I'm talking about Matthew chapter 11. We're actually going through a series called Important Life Lessons which gives me the privilege of going anywhere in Scripture. And uh, so we find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 11. You know these words well. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now there is always a danger in going to a familiar passage of scripture words that are well known because we have the tendency to think we've already heard that and so we stop listening it's easily easy to overlook it but I hope this morning that you will not listen to me but listen to the voice of God in Matthew chapter 11 but it is equally true that the deeper we go in scripture the more beauty we find it's like going to the sea and the surface we might be very familiar with but the depths we've not yet plummeted and below the surface there are things seen things never experienced and some of the most beautiful parts of all God's creation. Spurgeon said it this way, its shallows, the word of God, its shallows are cool and refreshing for all, but in its depths are pearls for which we hope to dive. And I want to do a little diving this morning, if we could, in Matthew chapter 11, to investigate, to dissect, as it were, the words, the syllables, the syntax of the sentence, to really glean from it what we can about the will of God. And God's word will always repay you for time spent in going deeper. So, interesting about this portion of Scripture, and somewhat surprising, there are two invitations, not just one there is an invitation to come if you are burdened and to find rest and then once having come there is an invitation to take the yoke of Christ upon you what is thoroughly amazing is this that the two invitations offer the same promise rest and rest is somehow incomplete unless we fulfill an experience and accept both of these invitations. So first of all, the invitation to come to Jesus. Someone said that come was the favorite word of Christ. Come. Come to me, not to Moses. Not to the law. Come to me for grace. And he never drives anyone away. In John 6 verse 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me and he who comes to me I will never cast out is one translation. Drive away is another. No one can come to Christ sincerely and be rejected. Rejection's a hard thing. I went out for the seventh grade basketball team and was rejected on the very first day. Of all the sports I enjoyed that was my least favorite but I thought I'd go out for the team and sure enough cut on the very first day. Parents got so upset that they, they protested and so they had another tryout to which I did not go because being rejected once is enough. People live their lives with this feeling of rejection Rejected maybe by their parents, rejected by friends, classmates, sometimes teachers and co workers. It seems like everyone rejects you. But listen to this Jesus, if you come with an honest heart, Jesus will not reject you. And that's all in this beautiful word come. 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 9 He will not turn his face from you if you return. To him and that's a message to all believers as well I think this first invitation is primarily offered to unbelievers but it certainly is true of believers and you'll notice that the invitation is given to a certain group of people who are described here now this is really important because in the earlier text It talked, earlier in Matthew 11, it talked about the Lord revealing himself to some and not revealing himself to others, and it it seemed as though that the love of Christ and the invitation of Christ was extremely narrow, but now it's broad and open to all people who feel their need. It's the words of Jesus who said, I have come to take not the healthy but the the sickly into my embrace and to heal them. If you think you're you're, uh, rich and healthy and have need of nothing, I've not come for you. And you won't be upset if Jesus rejects you, right? Because you don't want him. But he comes to a people described as those who are weary and burdened. Now going a little deeper into the The meaning of these words is is pretty amazing. It's the idea of constantly carrying heavy burdens. One translation puts it this way, all of you who are tired of carrying that heavy load on your back. One of the most exacting translations, that is, that seeks to get at the very literalness of a word, the New American Standard Bible, uses the fact, translates it this way, you are weary to the point of exhaustion. And what makes people so weary? The burden of sin. I saw a poster recently that said, there's torment in my heart, but a smile on my face. And that's the way the world often lives. It's a phony smile. A facade covering a heart that is broken and burdened and doesn't know where to turn. The burden of sin is intensified by the holiness of God's law. So, this word yoke is used. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, there was a group of people who said, Fine, Jesus is a Savior. He died and rose again. You can believe upon him. That's great. But you also have to obey the law of Moses. And then, after listening at this wonderful council in Jerusalem, they said, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither you nor your ancestors? Were able to bear. Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and they are the ones who know what it's like to try to bear the burden of religion by performance. For the Pharisees had made most of the religious activities purely outward. And it's like the religion that the Baroas were talking about in their faith testimony. that had all these things that you had to do to appease the gods. And you never know if you do enough. And you never can do enough. And you can't do what they've told you to do perfectly. So what do you have? A weight of guilt. A sense of Failure. An impending judgment. And if God truly is a holy God, as his law says he is, then I'm in big trouble because I am a great sinner and his wrath is going to be poured upon me. It's like a flood being dammed up until the day of judgment when it all bursts forth and I will be the object of God's just wrath. That's a burden that many people carry. Well they try to get rid of it with a promiscuous lifestyle, alcohol and drugs, or to numb their mind with opportunities of just merely having fun, filling their lives with leisure. (laughs) So they don't have to think. To be entertained means to be amused. And amused means to not think. And sometimes at the end of the day, I want to watch a TV show so I don't have to think. But there's a whole group of people trying to live their lives without thinking, and yet every once in a while, that burden comes to the surface. Sin robs us of rest. There's a beautiful illustration of a Christian in Pilgrim's Progress who comes to the cross. And he's got this big burden on his back and he he can't get down and can't get through until he believes. And then the burden of sin falls off his back and he leaps Three times in joy for the burden falling and watching it rolling down the hill. My burdens are gone, gone. For the Christian, the cross is where the burdens roll away. And we must never forget the cross. It's not that Jesus is still there. But don't forget what he did there. And the rest comes from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus who died in our place to satisfy the just, righteous, holy demands of God so that we wouldn't have to gain salvation by doing. We gain salvation by coming. Coming to faith in Christ and saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And when that happens, the burdens roll away. And the compensation. That is offered. Come unto me. All you who are weary. To the point of exhaustion. And burdened down with guilt. And sin. And fear of judgment. Come to me and I. Will give you. Rest. Forgiveness of sins. What a beautiful rest. A clear conscience. What glorious freedom to know that my sins have been washed away not by my own good deeds which could never do it but by the Son of God who offered up a perfect sacrifice which God the Father accepted and is offered to all who come. We don't make too much of Jesus. I think we don't make enough of Jesus. Because he's the one who offers us rest and gives it to us when we believe. That's where rest begins. At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light. And that's where the burden of my sin rolled away. And so I ask you, are you a person of rest today? With as much as we know so far going through this wonderful passage have you by faith trusted Christ and you're resting in him and the finished work of Christ on the cross and Jesus has given you his rest and your conscience is free from guilt and condemnation. If not, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ and live. But there's a second invitation, and I feel that often we forget this, and it is tied to rest just as surely as the first is. So when we come to Christ, verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first invitation to come to Christ is in order that we might lose our heavy burden. The second invitation is to take upon us his burden. It is an exchange of burdens. Now this is not jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. This is not a one for one exchange. This is not a heavy weight I bear to exchange it for a heavy weight I now need to bear, which is totally different. And yet many people view Christianity just like that. I won't become a Christian because it is too hard. And the burden is too great. Oh, my friend, you have a poor view of your own sin and a very poor view of the great Savior. Because these burdens are nothing alike. The first burden was much of an ill-fitted burden. It was like David trying to wear Saul's armor. We were wearing the guilt and burden of sin which God never intended for us to carry. But now when we lose that, we take upon us a yoke. A burden that is light. A yoke that is easy. Now, what's a yoke? If we lived in some developing countries, we might see it being used constantly. It's that wooden horizontal piece of wood that is harnessed around two animals, usually oxen, so that they can plow together and pull, maybe a wagon or a weight together. They're harnessed in so they might work together. Now, often we read this text and we say, okay, I take the yoke of Christ upon me. He's on one side, I'm on the other. No, no, Jesus isn't in the yoke. He lowers the yoke on you. His yoke fits perfectly. Again, the New American Standard Bible comes to give us a very, info, a, a very interesting insight Take my yoke upon you, for it is comfortable. (laughs) Comfortable. The yoke I had before was anything but comfortable. The yoke I have now in Christ fits perfectly. Why? Because I was created in his image. This is how I was meant to live. Oh, it's the story repeated every Christmas, isn't it, when you and I put together a Christmas gift for our kids or grandkids and we don't think we need the instructions. And so we put together the bike or whatever, and there's only a few things left. A few bolts, a part here, and those must be the extra ones they sent in case the first ones break. And your kid gets on, (laughs) whatever the gift is, And it crashes. And then you come back and read the instructions and realize that it was designed a certain way and it doesn't work without following the design. You were designed a certain way. And to reject God is to miss the instructions. And you will fail miserably in life without his clear teaching and his wonderful word. However, too many Christians want the rest that Jesus offers in the first invitation without taking his yoke in the second. They want to lose their burdens, but they don't want to take on his. Remember, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. 1 John, his commands are not grievous. They're a delight to the born-again soul. And when I come to Christ... I get to learn from him and learn of him. It's very interesting that the text says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Some translations have learn of me, which is right. And the answer is yes. For Jesus is both the teacher and the lesson. And that's why he's not in the yoke with us. He's the one placing the yoke on us. He's the teacher giving us instruction. He's the farmer that lowers the yoke upon the beast of burden. Jesus is the teacher and Jesus is the lesson. (laughs) Isn't that great? I want to learn from him and I want to learn of him. That's what it is to take his yoke upon us. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, a servant honors his master. If that is true, Jehovah says to Israel, where is my honor? Where is the respect due my name? In John chapter 13, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's exactly who I am. The implication is, so live like it. Take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? I surrender my life to this book. little editorial note. Someone stopped me last week and said, how come when you read from the Old Testament, you're holding a very thin book? <laughs> it's because this is only the New Testament. I have the Old Testament printed on notes on the pages. I'm not even using the translation of this New Testament. I put in the NIV. But I just like it because it's small. That means absolutely nothing, but let's go on. In case you were wondering, I hold up this up. I believe in the complete Bible, Old and New Testament. But this is easier to hold. You say you've got a table. Okay, let's forget about that. What is the yoke? The yoke is the revealed word of God, Old and New Testament. He places his yoke upon our minds when he instructs us what to believe, and he places his yoke upon our wills when he tells us how to behave. And the scripture does all of that. John Stott said, a believer who has truly submitted themselves to the yoke of Christ never again presumes either to disagree with Jesus or to disobey Jesus because he's under the yoke. Now we do, but we shouldn't. We only chafe at the yoke when we try to reject it, says Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful book, The Cost of Discipleship. If we follow the commands of Christ, the yoke fits perfectly. But it is utterly hard when we try To resist. And it's the old paradox. We gain freedom by submitting to the authority of Jesus as Lord. Too many Christians are unwilling to take the yoke of Scripture upon their life. Because they've never learned to submit to its truth. Some people wander through the Gospels and selectively pick the teachings of Jesus, those they like, those they don't like, like Thomas Jefferson did and made his own Bible. And like a shopper going through the grocery store, picking what you want to eat and rejecting what you don't want to eat, that's how people feed on the Scriptures. But that will increase your burden because you weren't designed to live that way. You were designed to submit yourself to Jesus. He takes off the heavy yoke of sin and places upon you a light yoke which is easy to bear. You find yourself by losing yourself. You begin to live when you die. The way to liberty from sin is bondage. To Christ. We read about it in Romans, Paul says, I'm kind of speaking just on a human level, but make yourself a slave to righteousness, a slave to the word of God. We're living in a society where there's widespread revolt against all authority like we've never seen before. I lived in the 60s and it was nothing like this. This is utterly crazy. And we're in the midst of it and don't know where it's going to end. But Jesus does. And that's where we find our strength. All forms of authority are being challenged. Political, moral, religious, traditional. Everything. All forms of authority must go. But what you don't, what they don't realize is that there is no freedom without some restriction. There is no freedom without authority they're not set against each other as irreconcilable opposites no they go hand in hand think about a train a train is designed by its maker to run on tracks and when it does it's free to express itself to its fullest under under the control of the one who is the engineer. But suppose we could personify the train who says, you know, I'm built for better things than this. I see the wonderful hills and mountains I pass. I want to get off these restricting tracks and begin to go where I want to go. And if we could put together such a story, the end would be disastrous. Because a train cannot run except it be on the track. And it finds its greatest freedom within the design that came from its maker. I want to play the piano. And at this very moment, I could go over and play the piano for you. And it would sound horrendous because I have no idea what I'm doing. But the piano, as free as it is with all of its keys and octaves and everything else, there is a discipline that must be accepted if you want to play freely on that instrument. And so Melanie's put in the time and she's got the gifts and she can make that instrument sing almost like no one else. That's freedom within limitations or the design of those who brought things into being, and God is the designer of music. So many people are quick to quote John chapter 8. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I've heard that quoted by many a pagan. And of course, the truth is their truth. When you understand what I'm talking about, it will set you free. Garbage! It's a lie. Because verse 31, that was verse 32 that we quoted. Verse 31 says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth. Where? Where do you get the truth? From my teaching. You will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. It's the truth of Scripture that gives wonderful freedom. And when we come to Christ, we get freedom by having our sin taken away. But there's a second component. We must embrace the Word of God. True freedom is never absolute freedom. So our world says we need freedom from sexual restrictions I want to indulge my sexual desires says someone to do what I want to do where I please with whom I please and what I please and no one can tell me I can't and you know what our society has said okay (laughs) okay so we'll now make laws where anything and everything is acceptable but God says, that's a type of freedom. It's freedom from conventional morality, perhaps, but it's, and it's freedom from being responsible and making responsible choices. It's freedom from caring about your partner and what disease they might get from such a relationship. But promiscuity, this freedom from sexual restraint, is actually bondage. You are bound to your animal passions. Animal in the sense we all have passions and passions can be good, but they all need to be controlled. In fact, you are never truly human until you follow the truth of Scripture. Otherwise, you act like a beast with no restraint. Jesus said whoever commits sin is a Anyone know the answer? Servant to sin. Whoever commits sin is bound by it. And maybe alcohol is one of the best illustrations where the Bible never says it's a sin to take a drink, but it is a sin to be an alcoholic. It's a sin and a disease. That's what makes it so complicating. And you've been with people, loved ones, who cannot stop. Only Christ and his grace can set them free. And there might be other things that a person has to do in such a situation. But they are slaves to their passions. And you and I can only find freedom in Christ. Now there's a motive given here. And I love this. You say, Well, this yoke that Jesus has given me, how do I know it's easy and my burden is light? Jesus said, For I'm gentle and humble in soul. What kind of Christ do you think you're coming to? He came not to condemn, but to save. He's the one who loved the little children, He's the one who took in the outcasts of society, the tax collectors. He's the one who dealt kindly with a woman caught in adultery. He's the one who has mercy and longs to forgive. He's the one who is meek and gentle and humble in soul and when you come to him, he never turns you away. And he's the son of God with all power. What a great mix. Kindness and power. Rarely do the two ever come together. Never do they come together so perfectly. Except in Jesus Christ. And what is the compensation offered? Well, the same thing we saw in the first invitation. Except this is actually the second part. Multitudes are seeking for rest. Where can it be found? It is found at the cross. And it is found... In following Christ. Faith in Jesus as one comes to believe and they're born again and they become a Christian. And then the faith to follow. By the way, taking up the yoke of Christ is not something you do once. You do that every day. It's like I die daily. Every day you have to say, Jesus, place your easy yoke upon me and relieve my sin and my burdens By your blood. Our rest depends on both coming to him in faith and taking upon us his yoke. He is both the crucified Savior and the risen Lord. You cannot divide Jesus. And the rest has two parts crucified Savior and risen Lord. And when you make Christ both Savior and Lord, then life is free. His yoke is perfect freedom. And this is what God made you for. Many years ago, there was a woman, this is in the middle 1800s, by the name of Jean Pickett, born in Ireland. She wrote a hymn, it's a great hymn it's been connected to a tune that I don't find the easiest to sing. And maybe this would be a great lyric for the Gettys to take, or someone, and put a wonderful tune to it. She had a younger brother by the name of Thomas who went to China as a missionary in 1879, and he took with him this hymn. He sang it, taught it to others, He had a great ministry in China and many people came to faith in Christ until the Boxer Rebellion of the early 1900s took place. In July of 1901, Thomas Pickett was martyred with 76 other Christians in China after they had been living there for over two decades and establishing good churches and responsible people. But that hymn that Thomas carried with him, he shared with a fellow missionary who was not killed at that time. A fellow missionary who used to get very discouraged and wanted to quit. And it wasn't just the burden of his sin, but it was the daily grind of going against the grain. And he found he was doing it too often in his own strength and he needed to learn to live the Yielded life. His name was J. Hudson Taylor. And one of his favorite hymns was Jesus. Jesus, I am resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the promise of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee and thy beauty fills my soul, for by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. And then they go to the chorus again Jesus, Jesus, I am resting. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise and I've made it mine. Jesus, I am resting, resting. Simply trusting thee, Lord Jesus, I behold thee as thou art and thy love so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. Satisfies its deepest longings, meets Supplies its every need. Compasseth me round with blessings. Thine is love indeed. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus. Earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of my Father's glory. Sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting. Resting. Fill me with your grace. Jesus, I am resting in thee. Is that true of you? Let's pray. Our rest begins at the cross where we confess our sin and trust Jesus as our Savior. When we come to him and lay our heavy burden of guilt at the foot of the cross. Have you done that? Will you do that? Right now. Say, oh Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm tired of carrying this load. Forgive me in the grace and mercy shown at the cross. I take Jesus. I come to Jesus. And take him as Savior. That's part of the rest. And the second part is learning every day to take his yoke upon you. Learn about him. Learn from him. He is gentle and meek and lowly in heart and when you do, you will find rest for your soul. In the midst of a troubled world, rest for your soul. Do you have that today, my friend? Whatever your need, let's take a moment to turn our hearts Godward and look to Jesus, to trust Him, to yield to Him as our Savior and as our Lord. Let's pray.